Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name's Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, we're doing a mailbag. And a couple interesting things on the production side. I am using my little PodTrack P4 recorder here, and I forgot. I mean, there's a sound pad on here, so I can assign like the theme music and then like roll up the volume and roll it down and that sort of thing. So I thought, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna check it out today, try to do it because I'm recording here uh, away from the desk in this more studio area here. This is where uh, my friend Carl and I record the Mile High Five podcast. I don't record over here too often, but it's very convenient if I'm doing a YouTube video as well, which today I am recording a YouTube video. I am recording it down here in the studio. I was planning on recording it outside, actually. Got my little backpack ready. I put my recorder in the backpack. I had some notes, this little notepad. And I brought my little GoPro to video outside. But one thing that I've I've mentioned it a couple times here and there, but not not too often. While it's beautiful here in Colorado and the weather was nice, it's windy. A lot of times it's windy. Of course, it depends on where you are and the local geography and all that stuff. But it was very windy where I was at and I set everything up and I thought maybe if I put the microphone really close and have a the backpack as a kind of a windbreak and a little bit of a barrier, but it was it was just too much. So I packed everything up and then brought, brought it inside. So we're doing a mailbag episode today. I've been accumulating questions for the last few months. If you have questions of your own, you could send them in, feedback at doug.show. I check out all those emails. I tag them if they are good questions. And almost all of them are pretty good. They, I just put them in the queue and try to remember which ones I've done in the past. I actually realized I need a better system for the ones that I have already answered. So hopefully I'm not doubling up and answering a question today that I've already answered before. And more importantly, I hope if I am answering the same question again, that I have a similar answer. It would be slightly disappointing if I just gave different answers uh, merely a couple months apart for, for no apparent reason. So hopefully I'm not doubling up though. That would be, that'd be crazy. So before we get to it, I want to give a shout out to a couple of the sponsors. That is Niche Website Builders. I am working with them on a case study. You probably have heard one of those episodes. I'm also publishing blog post updates over on their blog as well. So you can check those out. And it's going to be a four-month project. We're publishing about 200,000 words of content. I just got the first batch of content uh, about a week ago. I've been traveling and kind of a little busy. So it was just today that I was able to publish it. There were a couple tweaks that I'm going to need and I just contacted my account manager and let them know, hey, a couple little things here and there. Um, I think it's only on a couple posts. One one specific instance, it was like, a, it looks like a, the incorrect YouTube video was embedded. So I was like, hey, can you check this out and have a look? So they're they're working it out and I expect to get an answer back very quickly, but you know, that's one of the important parts when you're working with an agency is just the customer service back and forth. Mistakes are going to happen, especially if you're looking at 200,000 words and roughly, you know, 200 articles. There's going to be a couple little things that pop up and it's just important to be able to 
deal with them when they do occur. Hopefully there's not many little things going on, but when they do occur, you want to have uh, someone you can contact and make sure you get those things addressed. So the Stitch Website Builders, there's a link in the description. There's a 10% discount uh, if you get the coupon code. So you just follow that link, enter your name and email, you'll be good to go. And then the other sponsor is Ezoic. I've been working with them for a couple years. They have their product Leap, which helps your website load faster and get green and core web vitals. It's free to use if you monetize with Ezoic. And the good part is you can start using Ezoic with uh, no page view minimum. So basically, as soon as you start your site, you can start working with Ezoic. And thanks to both of those companies for working with me and to help support the show, you know, you could check them out, even if you're not in the market for whatever it is that they're offering, hop over there, shoot them an email and let them know that you appreciate the support. Okay, let's get to the questions here and the answers. So number one, this one is from Zach. How can you assess whether you should work on a site that has seen a downturn or has been neglected? And as someone, me personally, that has you know set a few sites aside when I realized that I wanted to focus on a couple of the bigger projects that were becoming more successful, I started leaving the ones that were okay behind. And sometimes those sites that were doing okay were actually doing really well at one point in time, but maybe through either neglect or an algorithm update or a, a shift in the market or something like that, some of the sites did see a decline. So this is a little tough to assess. And, I, you know, Zach actually sent this in several weeks ago, uh, maybe a couple months ago. And I, I was thinking about it, like, how, how do you assess it? How do you figure out what you're going to work on, basically? So there's a couple pieces that I'll break it down into. So number one, you have to think about all the things that you can work on. So this is really opportunity cost. So if you can work on a site that's growing, that you're more interested in, that is potentially earning more already and has bigger potential on the uh, the other side longer in the future, there's a there's a decent argument that you should just leave a good or even great opportunity behind because you could do something much better with your time. And we're we're talking about, you know, websites here in this case, but it could be, you know, you have a niche site that could be pretty good, but then you have some other opportunity, like let's say a, a brick and mortar business asks you to partner up because you have digital marketing skills and there's a bigger upside over there. So you have to, to weigh it back and forth. It's not just website versus website and going a little deeper. If you're, let, let's say uh, your, your kids are younger and you want to spend more time with your kids, you also have to look at that. So that's an opportunity cost as well. You're never going to get those years back. So depending on what's important to you and your priorities, you have to think about what you can do with your time and the opportunity cost of doing something versus something else. So that's, that's a tough one and uh, very difficult to figure out. You potentially could set up some sort of a a weighted opportunity matrix and figure out all the shit that you can work on and make it really complicated. You can do a pro and con list. You can go with your gut. 
There's a number of ways to do it. There's no right or wrong. There's probably some wrong ways, but there's no specific right way to do it. Just you have to figure out what your priorities are. So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is, hey, if I work on this site, let's say, I'll I'll think of one of my sites. So it was from maybe say 2015 or so, worked on it for about three years, uh, probably between month six and month 24. The site was doing pretty well, uh, getting quite a bit of traffic. It was earning a decent amount from Amazon. It was earning from other uh, affiliate offers as well, some digital products, some drop shipping type products. So pretty good monetization diversity. And over time, the content sort of went out of date. All the, I guess the the authority and the, the link building work that I had done through guest posting, a lot of those links are so old, I, I'm not even sure if there's uh, there's much power behind them because there have been almost no new links coming. So once the site stopped ranking number one for a lot of different terms, it stopped getting natural backlinks. So at that point, I have this site with quite a bit of content, you know, say a couple hundred posts, and it still gets a little bit of traffic. It's ranking for a handful of keywords, but the revenue is generally, you know, extremely low. The traffic is, you know, maybe 2% of what it used to be, maybe 1% of what it used to be, just really, really small numbers. So when I was thinking about how to answer this, I was thinking of that site. And what I would want to do is go back and look at the content. Now, the content would absolutely need to be updated in various ways. Sometimes the products are out of date. Sometimes uh, maybe the way it was written, maybe the, the writers weren't that great and the intros are a little too long. And I now have a clearer picture on how I want the content to flow. So there would need to be some updates, but what I would do is look back at a handful of things. One is the quality of the content. So with with the content stand up now, if I move that content to a new site, could it potentially rank? I'm not saying I would have to move it to a new site, but just looking objectively at the content, how good is it? Is it thorough? Does it have like a, a heavy bias promoting the products too much or is it pretty solid and it would stand up to the 2022 content standards that we have these days? So if it does, then I would also look at the keywords and the the niche and the market overall to see, is this a a growing niche? Is it something that was really popular a few years ago and then kind of tapered off? And just, is there interest in the market? Maybe there's more products now available and I would be able to promote other physical or digital products. So that would be the other thing to look at. So the two areas, opportunity costs, so think about that, what your priorities are. And number two, does the content stand up? And if the content does stand up, then there's some intrinsic value with that asset. And you might be able to go and revise the content, add some more um, you know, FAQs and some of the techniques that we now use these days where we probably weren't doing too much of that back in you know, 2015, 2016. 
The other piece to look at is if the content does hold up, but you realize, hey, it's better for me to spend my time somewhere else, then you potentially could sell the site to someone just for the content. Uh, if it's not getting much traffic, and that's kind of the scenario we're looking at, if it's not getting much traffic, it's not earning much money. So if you looked at like a valuation based on the revenue and profits, you'd have potentially a really low value, which is valid to look at, but your job, if you were trying to sell it, is to convince the buyer that there's some good value there. And, you know, you don't want to cheat anybody or anything like that. But the hope would be, is, or, yeah, I guess the hope is someone would have a website in that area and they would see a high amount of value for the content that you have. So if they're looking at getting 300 articles written by writers fresh, that will, number one, take some time. It'll also cost them a decent amount of money to pay the writers. If they're able to put a value on that, they can apply it to the, the content that you already have written. And of course, hopefully, the, the value would hold up to, for something that you're happy with. But the advantage for the buyer is they don't have to wait for anyone to write it. It's all done. They get it instantly. As soon as they can start transferring it over, they could do it. And if they are, if they're smart, not smart, that's the wrong way to say it. If they have database skills, they may be able to just migrate the content almost instantly via the database, or if they hire a developer, you could do, you could do some more sophisticated, um, like migrations if you have those skills. I don't necessarily, I, I don't have those skills, but I'm pretty sure that's possible. Shoot me an email if I'm wrong about that. But I, th I mean, with a database, you could do all sorts of stuff. Okay, so hopefully that helps Zach. And if anyone has an opinion out there, shoot me an email to let me know. Up next, we have a series of questions from Mike. And just, just a reminder, if you want to have your question featured, sh shoot me an email. <laughs> that's how it happens. All right, Mike has a few, some are short, some are longer. And um, all right, I'll ask this one. As a writer, this is Mike's speaking here. So as a writer, will AI take over in the next five years? And I don't think Mike is asking about a Terminator Skynet type situation. I'm pretty sure he's asking about his work as a freelancer and if he needs to worry about AI. So as everyone knows, um, I talk shit about AI all the time. And at some point in time, I'm sure it's going to get better. And then when I try to be an affiliate for those companies, they'll say, no, Doug, are you crazy? You've been talking bad about us this whole time. Before I start answering, I did invite my friend Alex Cooper from WP Eagle, the YouTube channel, to talk to me coming up soon about a case study he's doing where I believe the majority or all of the content is AI generated. Apparently, the site is earning something like 300 bucks a month. So while I do talk shit about the AI tools and I actually I tease Alex a little bit when we do live streams together, but it's, it's all in good fun. So... I mean, I, I do believe that about the AI stuff, <laughs> about the AI content. 
but I also believe there's a way to use the AI tools effectively. And I think Alex has figured that out and I hope he's going to be able to share the story. I think he, I think he has some uh, stuff going on. So in a couple of weeks, we're going to chat. And then I told him, I was like, Hey, I want to eat my words here. Like, I want to hear the story. I want to understand what you're doing and, and so on. So I'm not here to like bash the AI tools specifically, but it is a fun thing to do. And I know Alex is seeing some success with it. So Mike, here's what I think. I don't think you have to worry about it, but it depends on what you're writing. If you are writing content that is, I would say, highly derivative and oriented towards people that um, potentially would use AI tools, then you may be in a little bit of trouble, trouble there. When I last talked to Alex, I think this was a live stream that we do with niche website builders. Uh, we have those on Wednesdays, 8 a.m. Mountain Time. So we alternate channels, but you could check this out. So we were on this live stream. And I think what I said was, if you're tr- if you're trying to write something original and you're pulling together different ideas from different areas and you're trying to write something good, maybe you're trying to build your brand and you're pulling some ideas from maybe books and podcasts that you've listened to and other uh, pieces of maybe personal experience that you have, and you're writing a piece, I'm pretty sure you're going to beat a piece of AI content. The fact is, if you're writing something original, I don't think, I, I haven't used these AI tools in a pretty long time. It's been about a year, but I'm pretty sure they can't come up with ideas on their own. And if they they do, my guess is it's gibberish. It doesn't make sense. So if you are doing more creative writing, if you're doing more idea generation, and you're actually, you know, doing something a little more interesting than writing product reviews or informational topics where it's been answered dozens of times and a machine learning and a good program can go out and assemble a grammatically correct few sentences. If you're writing stuff like that, then, you know, I suggest, you know, go up the value chain and start writing things that are a little bit more interesting. I'll use that word interesting. So that that's my take on it. I think probably AI tools are probably going to get much better over time. I think it'll be much faster than I give the tools credit for, but I still stand by what I just said. And if you move to the fiction area, like can these uh, can these AI tools write fiction that's coherent and complex? I mean, I don't think Stephen King is worrying about the AI writers at all. Again, well, his books are kind of fucked up sometimes, but big fan. Okay, next from Mike. Is the featured snippet better or worse than the next position down because the snippet has already answered the question? So I haven't done any deeper research or analysis or check to see if anyone else has, but I'm going to say take the featured snippet. You're higher up. There's a solid chance that people are going to click and read a little bit more. Even if the answer is in there, they may want to go a little bit deeper. The one piece of anecdotal evidence is uh, recently on a live stream on YouTube on my own channel, 
people were asking about the, I can't remember if it was called the snippet update or the snippet ban or something like that. But the gist of it was if a particular featured snippet gets negative feedback enough times, it will then be banned from any other featured snippets, which apparently that's happened for the last few months. It was news to me. I wasn't even aware. I'm a little bit behind keeping up on you know, the, the current events in the SEO world. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm aware when algorithm updates roll out, but other than that, some of the finer points, I don't, sometimes it takes it a little while to filter down to me. So the people were saying that their traffic dropped pretty significantly when they were impacted by the snippet ban. So I would say, take the snippet if you can get it. Next. From Mike again, how broad of an age domain is reasonable for a specific niche market? So that's tough. I think it'll vary from a case-to-case basis, but I would look at two main areas. The I'll just say they're probably mostly equal, but it probably depends on the site. So I would look at the backlink profile and the sites that are linking And if those sites are relevant, if those industries and the specific content is relevant to what your blog and content will be, then I think it's probably fine. So if it makes sense to have links from those places pointing to your site, then I would say that's good. I would also look at the content that used to be on the site. So same same idea, if the content is relevant or or close enough and you can imagine a pivot into a different area of content that's related enough if you could imagine it i think that's probably okay so fairly broad it doesn't have to be exact and i would say the more relevant and the more realistic the the links are going to the site and again if you could imagine those links pointing to your new site then that's a that's a good sign. I would definitely, you know, be careful to go too far outside and just pick something that's kind of random. Um, that used to work back in the day, but it's been many years since that is true. Next is two thousand dollars worth the age domain, and this is a hypothetical. There wasn't a specific domain. Um, But basically, is it worth it to spend $2,000 on a domain or is it better to just deal with one year of the sandbox, especially if it's a sort of new emerging type market? So again, this depends. It would depend on the specific domain and the dollar amount and your budget and so many different factors. But, you know, one of the main ideas here is it's a new it's a new market. So that indicates to me that maybe there's not that many existing websites out there anyway, or, you know, even fewer sites that did exist that got good backlinks and then went under and now they're available via auction or from a place like Otis Global, ODYS.global. So I would say you have to look at your budget and, you know, there's always uh, a little bit of risk you don't know, even if all the metrics check out and everything looks good for a particular domain, you don't know if it's going to grow really fast or if it'll be a little bit slower. It's it's kind of hard to tell. There is a chance also that 
there's some sort of uh, spammy history that was far enough back that you know you don't you don't see it, you don't detect it, you don't see any of the normal signs that would indicate that the site was used for spam. That's I think it's relatively rare, especially if you go through a specific checklist and your due diligence is solid. In fact, I think Niche Website Builders has a service where they they do due diligence for age domains and they'll go through, you know, their process. So I think overall it depends. And I would, let's say you find a a domain and it's the right industry and the backlinks make sense and the the content also makes sense. The, The old content that was on the site sort of fits in the right niche with whatever your site will be and the price is reasonable. So let's say every everything sort of checks out and you're trying to figure out if you should get it or if you should go with a brand new domain and deal with a one-year sandbox. So the value that you end up getting is the backlinks that already exist. So for example, if you find this domain and it has a hundred referring domains do follow that are relevant, you could kind of look at a value of those backlinks and figure out like how much the domain should be worth if you were to, I'm doing air quotes, recreate those backlinks. So sometimes, a lot of times, especially if it was a good domain, you're not even going to be able to recreate them because there was some sort of scenario that help that site get really great links from really high-powered websites, and you may not be able to recreate that. Think like New York Times or CNN or something like that, where they got these awesome links, and it would be really, really hard for you to recreate those links. So you could look at it like that. Sometimes you can, you know, put a valuation on the links as well and say, ah, you know, all the links with this domain rating will have a value of $400. I can go to a company and you know get those links. All these with a different domain rating range, I could put a value of $200 per link on those. And then you end up with some value. So you could view it like that and say, hey, if I was going to recreate this backlink profile, it would cost me like $10,000, but I can get the domain for $4,000 and have all those links instantly. So you can look at it like that. And it doesn't mean you know necessarily that you're going to get a faster return. I think the likelihood is probably higher. And after you, you publish more content, your site's more established, my assumption would be that you would probably end up doing you know, much better than you would have with a new domain. The age domain is going to have those backlinks. So even once you get past a year, I bet if you compared the two, which this would be almost impossible to do like a, a fair comparison because all websites will be a little bit different. But my hunch is the age domain is probably going to perform a little bit better because of the historical backlinks. Next is the future of cookies and how it'll impact affiliate sites. So I'm not too savvy on, I think the more episodes you listen to, you realize how ignorant I am on so many areas, but everything's turning out okay. So I'm sticking with what I'm doing. So the future of cookies and how it'll impact affiliate sites. 
I'm not too worried about it. I know the in the question here, it's affiliate sites specifically, but most of the time these days we have display ads as well. We're working with an ad network of some kind and we have affiliate revenue from hopefully various sources. But generally my hunch is if you have traffic on your website, you're gonna be able to earn money. So I'm not too worried about it. Like everything, change is inherent. Things are gonna shift. I think we're gonna figure this out and it's not gonna be that big of a deal. There might be a shift and there's a chance, you know, when things get sort of disrupted or there's a there's an opportunity basically. So I would say if you have ideas for stuff, like you maybe have an opportunity to fill the gap or help people understand what they can do if they run into issues because their revenue changes due to, um, you know, cookies not being used in the same way and largely unavailable. I don't, I don't know much about it. Okay. Next question. Someone asks about FBA that's fulfilled by Amazon. And I think they just replied back to an email and they said, why, why didn't you do FBA after you created videos? And I didn't quite understand why FBA was a clear path after creating videos, but my hunch is maybe he or she was asking because I did videos on Amazon affiliate stuff. They were like, well, why didn't you do FBA? And my reply was, well, I'm not interested in FBA and I don't, you know, I don't really care, especially nowadays. It's 2022. And right after I had a couple uh, good websites with Amazon affiliate, FBA was becoming really popular. This is like 2014-ish. And you were hearing about people making, you know, tons of money. And it was relatively straightforward. FBA was a little bit newer back then. I'm not even sure when it when it started, but it must've been pretty fresh back then. And I had some friends get into it and, you know, some actually earned a pretty good amount of money uh, in various things. But a lot of times what happened is a competitor would just sort of choke them out. They would find a product that was working and then they would, you know, spend more on ads, uh, drive the price down, and then basically, you know, run the smaller, uh, newer people out. And this was still back in 2014 or 2015 or so. And as time went on, I just kept doubling down in my affiliate marketing area because that's that's what was working for me. And it's not like I um, couldn't refine and distill the process that I had over time. So I just, I kept working on my affiliate stuff. Now, um, the person followed up and they were like, well, why aren't you interested in FBA? And, you know, I, I suspect they watched a lot of videos with someone pushing something with FBA, which all, all of these are valid, by the way. I, I, you could do, you know, reselling stuff on eBay. You can do drop shipping in e-commerce. You can do the FBA route. You can do um, the Kindle publishing, all sorts of stuff. Any of them are valid. Any of them can work today. And with the particular FBA piece here, I know for a fact these days, it's far more competitive 
on Amazon and FBA is a lot more competitive because the people that were getting started or doing really well in 2014, when I decided I didn't want to work on FBA at all, they are, they're doing really well. So if they have been around for seven years, they kind of have it down and they have a lot of capital and they have a lot of know-how and experience where they're probably going to be able to kind of dominate the market. Now, funny thing, I was just at uh, Camp Phi Southeast down in Florida, and I got a couple questions about FBA. My talk that I did down there was on side hustles, and I talked about my affiliate marketing stuff. And one dude apparently was really interested in FBA. Again, he saw a couple screenshots and he was like, is that FBA stuff? And I'm like, no, no. And then it confused everybody in the room. Like, we don't know what FBA is. So I I moved on quickly because I'm like, that's not the point. You're in the weeds, dude. Like we're talking higher level here. But this guy must have been consuming a lot of content about FBA. So he was super interested in it. And I'm just not interested and there's too many things. There's like too many things that I would I would potentially be able to work on. So I just kind of put my blinders on in a lot of ways and, and stick to what I'm working on at the time and, and don't get too distracted. So why am I not interested in FBA these days? It's just so competitive. And I think there's still room. So back to Camp Phi. There's apparently someone who, uh, I won't mention the specific product here, but they're making a few thousand dollars per month. And it's the same sort of technique and ideas that we were using from back in 2014. Well, I didn't ever get into FBA. I listened to so many podcasts that I was pretty familiar with the concepts and, and what to do. So quick little example, I'm not creative, so I'm just gonna look at the stuff that I have laying around. And let's say someone wants to create a, I think they call them a, like a a boom scissor arm microphone stand that I'm using right here. They're pretty popular. They attach to a desk or a table and they allow you to move your microphone around a little bit. Uh, The good ones have the springs on the inside. This one has a spring on the inside. And basically this is an analogy. Again, this is not the product that the person is successful uh, marketing and selling on FBA or selling via FBA on Amazon right now. Basically, I would go and look at all the different models on Amazon. And I have uh, a cheaper version of one of these microphone stands and the springs are on the outside. So you find a bunch of these products and you read the product reviews, especially the like three star, two star, three star, some of the crappier reviews, because then you can get feedback on the issues that people had. So one of the microphone stands that I had has the springs on the outside. So if you touch it or move the microphone stand, the spring will make a noise and that is bad for the audio. It comes directly through the microphone. So one thing you might do is make sure your microphone stand design has internal springs. Maybe people have an issue with like the the wire, your microphone, your XLR cable, and maybe 
you know, adjusting it and maybe some thumb screws and stuff so that a person can adjust and tighten the microphone stand. There's a, a handful of things that you can improve. So you go and you do your research, you look on Amazon, you find out what issues people have with certain models and you make small improvements so that yours is a little bit better. So you're not coming up with a brand new idea. You're just iterating and improving an existing product that you can clearly sell. You can clearly see is selling on Amazon. So that is basically what this person did. And it was a very simple kind of product. And, you know, they're selling whatever. I, I don't know what quantity, hundreds or thousands. They were making pretty good money. And I was, I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty amazing. And in my head, I was just thinking, well, there's so many people that are established on Amazon now that they will potentially, one of her competitors is going to see that she's selling those really well, and they'll just copy her product. Another thing that happens is Amazon will copy your product. So I think they were getting a little bit of, uh, they were getting into a bit of trouble because of that. Amazon, of course, has all the data so they can see what's selling well. And they also have connections to manufacturers so they can get things manufactured. All that to say, I'm not interested in FBA. However, I'll leave you with this. What I just described to you was, you know, the reasoning and the justification that I have for not looking into FBA. Essentially, I'm saying the market's saturated there and I don't want to try to compete in a saturated market. And there are times where people say, ah, you know, the niche site and affiliate marketing area is, is too saturated. Why even start a new site? Yet people start new sites every day. I interview people on this show all the time. They're like, hey, I've been doing this for a year and uh, it took a little while for things to start working, but now it's working and it's great. And they're in a saturated market. Going deeper, podcasting or you know YouTube or even like print magazines, like new things are created all the time, even though the market is quote saturated. So I, I realized that I was making excuses, but that's, that's how I justified not getting into FBA myself. And I continue to use that justification, which it works for me in my brain. And I'm, I'm just fine with that. I stay, you know, just as busy as I want to be right now. So no need to add FBA to the mix. And if you're into FBA, actually, if you have a recent success story in the FBA area, I would be interested in hearing that, you know, for the show or not. So even if you just shoot me an email and you want to be anonymous and off the record, that's cool too. I'm always interested in that kind of stuff. So thanks for sending in the questions, folks. And if you do have other questions, feedback at Doug.show. We also have the voicemail hotline. So you just call in, you leave a short message. And it's honestly, it's been a long time since I've had someone send one in. So if you have a good question, like to keep them around 90 seconds or so, one minute to 90 seconds is ideal. And uh, we can go from there. But emails are totally fine as well. And I think that's it for today. Let me, I think I can roll the outro music. We'll fade it back in. Yeah, there we go. Not bad. I'll have to remember that I could do this. So one thing you could do, a favor for me, is uh, share the episode or the uh, the whole podcast with a friend 
or Facebook group or someone you think that might be interested in it. And I would appreciate it. If you want extra credit, you can leave me a review on one of the uh, platforms out there. I think that helps a little bit. I, I honestly don't know. They say it helps, but oh, side note, I got this other podcast. It's called Mile High Fi. It's about financial independence, personal finance. And we cracked the top 100 iTunes business in the US like last week. So I'm sure it's going to drop off. We had um, one of our friends share uh, the show and it worked out pretty good. Oh, I ran out of music. Let's roll it again. So it, uh, it cracked the top 100, which is insane because you look at the other shows that are in the top 100 and, uh, well, we shouldn't be there. So pretty amazing. All that to say, I think a ton of people downloaded and subscribed in a very short amount of time. And I think that's what kicked us up to the top 100. Yeah, I think we got to like 98. I looked a little bit late. My friend told me and I looked a little bit late. So we were like 150 by the time I saw it. So anyway, Mile High Fi, you can check that show out too. And that's it. That's it for today. We'll catch y'all later on the next episode.